Hello and welcome to Let's Get Psyched, a program that explores the controversial and challenging issues from a psychological and psychiatric perspective, as well as the implications for clinical practice. I'm your host, psychologist Dr. Aaron Parks, Assistant Director at the University of California Riverside's Counseling and Psychological Services. And I'm joined by my co-host, child and adolescent psychiatrist, Dr. Toshi Yamaguchi. Hi, Tosha. Hi, everyone. And Iman Aledrus is an adult psychiatrist in Los Angeles. She completed her training through Kaiser's psychiatry program, and she hopes to shed more light on gun violence prevention and what our roles can be as providers. Hi, Iman. Hi. The views expressed on Let's Get Psyched are those of the speaker. They do not represent the University of California, UC Riverside's Counseling and Psychological Services, or UCR's School of Medicine. Let's Get Psyched is not intended to replace mental health assessment and treatment. The information shared on the show is for educational purposes only. Well, on this episode, we're going to discuss gun violence and the group Psychiatrists for Gun Violence Prevention. And to do that, we're honored to have with us Dr. Rebecca, Rebecca Capasso. Dr. Rebecca Capasso is the Assistant Director for Inpatient Psychiatry at Bellevue Hospital Center and Unit Chief of an Acute Inpatient Psychiatric Unit. She's Assistant Professor of Psychiatry at NYU Lagone School of Medicine. Dr. Capasso is board certified in psychiatry from the American Board of Psychiatry and Neurology. She promoted to unit chief in 2014. She was a recent recipient of the Doctors Across New York grant, recognizing work with underserved populations. She spent three years as the medical director of psychiatry at Project Renewal while remaining an adjunct professor and mentor for the NYU Grossman School of Medicine Psychiatry Department. In 2019, Dr. Capasso became a distinguished fellow of the American Psychiatric Association, and in 2021, she was elected to the executive board of the New York County Psychiatric Society, serving as district representative to the APA General Assembly. In 2022, she returned to Bellevue Hospital as the assistant director of inpatient psychiatry. Her, her academic interests are focusing on treatment of schizophrenia, schizoaffective disorder, public psychiatry, telepsychiatry, for people experiencing hope, homelessness during COVID-19, and of course, gun violence prevention. Dr. Capasso, Becky, thank you for joining us on Let's Get Psyched. Thank you so much. It's great to be here. And why don't you start us off with, uh, tell us a little bit about this uh, group, the Psychiatrists for Gun Violence Prevention. Yes, and I am a more recent addition to the group, so I have to give big honor to the founding members of the group, uh, Dr. Mark Manso, Dr. Victoria Denzel, and Dr. Charles Lee. They were all Columbia Public Psychiatry Fellows together. Um, and so had a big connection through this listserv of alumni of community psychiatrists and public psychiatrists. And then the Parkland shooting happened. Um, and of course, uh, once again, the nation was horrified by innocent lives that, that were lost in Florida of just people trying to go to a nightclub. Uh, so they started chatting together on this listserv and discussing uh, what could we do? What could we do as psychiatrists? Um, you know, was, was there anything, were there any groups advocating for gun violence prevention? And they really figured out there wasn't. And so that's how Psychiatrists for Gun Violence Prevention was formed. Uh, I came on a little bit later to help, honestly, just drum up membership. And I've learned so much along the way just, just joining the group. Yeah, I, I first heard about your group from a colleague, another psychiatrist who I went to residency with. Um, we, 
I have this chat with all my friends from residency and every time there's a school shooting, most of us are child psychiatrists and we just, we talk about it and kind of, you know, share our feelings about it. And, um, yeah, we just got to a point where we were wondering what we could do as psychiatrists. And she sent us a link to your guys' group saying, this is literally the only group I can find of organized psychiatrists uh, committed to this issue. Is that still the case? Why are, why are you guys the only group? What's going on there? And, and that is, you're exactly right. And that's kind of how this group formed is, is the three founding members said, I can't believe there's not already a group dealing with this, especially since the media is kind of constantly saying this is a problem of severely mentally ill people exactly. who are, you know, who are, are doing this to us. Um, and so the, it started with just chatting on the listserv, much like you guys saying, what are we going to do? And then they turned it into this group, which is really about education. Yes, a bit of advocacy when we can. Um, and we they built a website. It's a psychgvp.org. And that could also be where people started. We, you started a repository of research, of resources, um, so that other people like us struggling to deal with the the trauma, the sadness, the feeling that there's nothing we can do could go somewhere and find other people who felt the same way or wanted to learn something. So um, I have a question. When we, you know, in the public and, and looking at the news, we see these mass shootings happen. And unfortunately, it seems like they're happening more frequently and sometimes more severely, really, you know, shocking violence, uh, you know, Columbine, Sandy Hook, Parkland, mm -hmm. most recently Uvalde in Texas. Mm -hmm. I think the media tries to sort of paint a narrative of these lone wolf shooter types and then make a connection to um, mental illness. And so what is your opinion on, you know, that connection or should that connection, uh, you know, not really exist? Yeah, no, it's that's that's the question at the heart of this, Iman. And mm -hmm. and when you're saying it feels like it's happening more often, um, the data actually backs that up. So in 2004, the Brady Bill, which was an assault uh, ban, uh, an assault rifle ban, expired. It was allowed to expire in 2004. So nobody in Congress renewed it. And since 2004, there has been about a 4% increase in these mass shootings. And so it, it doesn't just feel like it's happening more. It, it factually is happening more. And the connection goes back when when people are looking at the data is to allowing that ban on assault rifles to expire. Um, so so there is directly a, a connection and, and unfortunately why it is happening more often. Um, now, a lot of the mass shootings that we're talking about, all of these big ones that you mentioned, um, get a ton of media attention. And that's important. They, I think they should get media attention. It's a bit, it's a bit uh, fraught, as we're going to talk about as people connected to folks who might have a mental illness. 
which the evidence does not support. And, and I'll get to that. But just backing up, I want to be clear because I think the perception, the media coverage is, is a frenzy for a few days um, after one of these mass shootings. But what's being reported on are generally public mass shootings, right? So it's Parkland at a nightclub. It's El Paso at a Walmart, um, where, again, you can really talk about the horror of people going about their everyday life, just trying to go to the store, just trying to go to a concert and, and being killed or shot. Over half of mass shootings are actually um, probably due to intimate partner violence and are shootings in a home um, or a private setting where, where the, the victims directly know the, the perpetrator of, of the crime. And so again, if, even if you want to talk about mass shootings, which generally is defined by the FBI by more than four people shot at any one incident, um, over half of those are intimate partner violence. So, so just to throw a, a wrench in our discussion, intimate partner violence, domestic violence is a big part of the picture of mass shootings. And so when, when you want to talk then about mental illness, a lot of it, you have to look at the, the people who are perpetrating domestic violence and intimate partner violence. But to go to what you're, what you're asking me, um, which is in the media, they say it's some lone wolf. Oh, I bet they had schizophrenia. You know, they're crazy. Um, all of those great words that they want to use. Um, you probably know that a, a person with a serious and persistent mental illness is way more likely to be the victim of a crime than a perpetrator. Um, there was some studies and an analyzing mass shootings, these big ones that we're talking about, 15, 20% of the perpetrators of those mass shootings were thought to have a serious mental illness. Okay, so 15, 20%. So we're saying at least 80% did not have a serious mental illness, meaning even major depression, schizophrenia, bipolar. So if we could magically, which we as psychiatrists want to do, healed all mental illness, uh, violence would still only go down by a tiny, tiny percentage. Yeah, I'd like to follow up on that. Um, yeah, after these kind of incidents where they get a lot of uh, high profile media coverage, it'll this debate will form usually around, well, we need to increase mental health funding or the yeah. mental health services or access to them. And then there needs to be gun restriction or uh, gun added gun laws. But from a public health pers perspective, where is the where would you place the money or the emphasis or the focus? I would place it exactly on the second thing you said, which is more common sense gun laws. Um, so again, it's tempting, right? Because we're mental health professionals, we're psychiatrists. So you tell me that Congress is going to put more money towards mental health care. I say, great. Yes, we do need a lot more money in mental health care. I'm a community psychiatrist. We're, we're terribly underfunded. Um, so it's very tempting to say, yes, thank you. I will happily accept your money and address violence and serious mental illness. The, the, the problem is the connection of, of that money and mental health care to these extreme, violent, 
people that they're portraying in the media, it actually, I think, unconsciously makes a link too. So if I'm seeking mental health care, that means I'm some, you know, potentially dangerous, violent, you know, murderer. And so I think the stigma is there, just layer upon layer of stigma for the individual who might need those mental health services, for us as psychiatrists, for these, these folks who are perpetrating crimes, like the, the stigma is everywhere. It has been shown pretty well that having laws, common sense gun laws, background checks. Um, so again, even if you just ruled out that someone who has been convicted of domestic violence should not be able to get a weapon, you, you've, you've eliminated half of these mass shootings because again, they're, they're intimate partner violence in, in intimate settings. Um, and so, and so I would definitely put my money and efforts towards those common sense gun laws. And it's very tempting though, because we do want the money <laughs> for, for all the other reasons, but, but that's a false, it's a false connection. Let me ask you, Becky. So, you know, our, um, professional association, the American Psychiatric Association. Mm -hmm. What are they doing or aren't they doing about this issue? I, you know, they recently came out with a statement on firearm violence in June of this year. Thoughts on that? I I was glad that they came out with the statement. I'm very happy to see the American Psychiatric Association taking a stand right? Saying something about guns and saying something about that false connection, right? That false narrative that, that these are folks with serious mental illness because it isn't. Mm -hmm. I would say back in, and I hope I don't get my year wrong, but I think it was 2018. So I think it was around the same time as the Parkland shooting, the American Psychiatric Assemb uh, Association General Assembly passed what's called an action paper. Um, very similar to like passing a law through Congress, right? So it's got to be approved by the General Assembly. And it had pretty strong language about how the American Psychiatric Association should condemn gun violence, support common sense gun laws, you know, try and break the stigma of you know, mental illness and gun violence, and really support uh, what 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 we'll probably get to talk about a little later, which is that suicide is a big problem, right? With gun violence. And that's where a lot of um, victims could be saved with some of our interventions. Um, and then I think what happened to be honest is it didn't seem like, although that action paper passed, meaning that it was approved, I don't know that much action was taken on it. Um, so I know that um, some some great folks at the APA, and I've been playing a supporting role in the background, are trying again. So we're putting another action paper up in November to say, hey, reference this paper back in 2018, plus here's a little more. Maybe we should think about whether uh, people under the age of 21 should get guns and have that debate. Should somebody under the age of 21 be able to buy a gun when they can't buy a beer? you know, what, what about, let's, let's debate that. Let's, let's think about it. Um, may, and then again, maybe we should take a stronger stand about common sense gun laws and try and break this pattern of, of stigma in the media. 
If you're just joining us, you're listening to Let's Get Psyched on KUCR, and we're talking to Rebecca Capasso about gun violence and the group Psychiatrists for Gun Violence Prevention. Go ahead, Tosha. Yeah, so continuing on with the APA conversation, um, is there a conflict of interest going on? Is it true about the APA group funding certain people in the government who do take money from the NRA? Yes, I think that there is a conflict of of interest there. I think there's a couple of things happening by my, and I want to say, very novice opinion as a very uh, beginner in in the American Psychiatric Association. Um, I think there is. The American Psychiatric Association PAC um, does support various political candidates or people in office because they want to negotiate with those people about other issues about psychiatry, public health, mental health, and want to be able to continue having access to those politicians, right? So if we take a a harder stance on guns, do we upset those politicians? And then we lose that connection for other legislation that we're hoping to advocate for that will also be beneficial, of course, to all of our patients. So I think there is a conflict of interest there. And I'll just say, I mean, uh, as as you heard my bio, I am a New Yorker. I am a a bit liberal (laughs) when it comes to my ideas about guns. And the APA General Assembly has representatives from the entire country. So a lot of times when we think about how to legislate either common sense gun laws or other things, you might even find resistance from our colleagues who live in other parts of the country, uh, maybe have uh, a different relationship with guns themselves, um, think of themselves as responsible gun owners. Again, if, if, if you're looking at Pew research of just the general public, I can't say psychiatrists, but the general public doesn't think guns are a problem. They don't think guns are what's causing violence or death. Um, it back back to that old uh, terrible phrase of you know guns don't kill people people kill people you know that you remember that terrible thing people yeah. would say. Um, well, I think so. I think that even in, as we're having this debate, you're going to get a lot of different perspectives, even from around the country. So that might not again move things forward in the way that you you might expect or I might have expected when I joined the APA and was at the General Assembly on the floor. Um, sitting behind, and they were lovely, nothing against Texas, but I was sitting two rows behind the folks, the, the, de- the delegation from Texas. And I said, well, they're going to have something different to say than I have to say, probably, you know, right? And we should hear their opinions. So what is the work that your group is doing? So our group really conceptualizes its, itself as education first. We want our fellow psychiatrists and anyone else who is welcome to visit our our website to get the facts, to be able to look at on on the website, there's a whole tab on just resources and you can just scroll through all of the research that we've tried to compile. And if you find more, send it to us and we will add it (laughs) to to our pile. But just even just to have the research, what is the connection between gun ownership and suicide? Here's all the studies we could find. What is the connection between mass shootings and serious mental illness? Here's all the studies we could find. 
So I think that we really conceptualize ourselves as, as education first. Um, and, and we want other mental health practitioners and psychiatrists to have all that data, right? Because there's a lot of misconceptions. The media spins it in a really, uh, whatever way is the most sensational, right? Because they want people to uh, watch their television program or listen to their show, and that's understandable. So education first, I would say the next thing that we, we do hope for is some advocacy. We do want to make ourselves visible and hope that others will advocate for common sense gun laws. So in terms of common sense gun laws, I know, you know, we're we're in California, you're in New York. We talked about sort of we are in more liberal leaning uh, states. And so along with that, I believe in New York, uh, the governor issued some potential red flag gun laws that may target, uh, you know, certain vulnerable populations and, and sort of uh, consider people, certain people and in, in, under red flag territory. So what is red flag territory? Is a psychiatric evaluation a part of that? And or is that reinforcing again, that connection between mental illness and gun violence? Yeah, I think that's a great question. Um, there's a couple of different things in New York State. So check your local area, wherever you're listening from. A SAFE Act is a report that is done when a person has a mental illness and is, quote, likely to engage in serious harm towards self or others. So that's a SAFE Act report. That is put in by mental health professionals. It can be put in by other doctors. But for example, working in the hospital, everyone who's admitted in New York, our laws are, are fairly liberal, but our, anyone who's admitted under our New York mental hygiene law is going to meet that criteria. They have to also be a danger to themselves or others. So that automatically fits the likely to cause serious harm to self or others. So there's been a bit of a pushback with some psychiatrists about that to say, well, you're already stigmatizing. Just having to go to a hospital means you're going to get a SAFE Act report. Now, what a SAFE Act report means is that you cannot legally purchase a firearm for a period of time after that report is put in. So as we know, guns are attained illegally. Guns are attained in many other ways, or they might still own a gun. That doesn't get rid of the gun. So there could be some stigma there. Red flag laws in New York are a little bit different. That's trying to prevent someone who is showing signs of being a threat to self or others from purchasing or possessing a gun of any kind, and then they have to surrender the gun if they own it. That report can be put in by a psychiatrist, a psychologist, other mental health professionals, I think uh, licensed social workers. They can be put in by primary care doctors and they can be put in by family members. So a psychiatric examination is not necessary. And the reason I like those laws a little bit more is it's not so blanket, it is a court order someone will go and remove the gun. So you have to prove to a judge or whoever you're applying to that this person, let's say, has a gun and has said, I'm thinking about killing myself. Uh, you know, again, something that's a more direct threat. And so those are what red flag laws are in New York. And they're very effective. 
Um, Because I think, again, people don't generally put in a report unless they're pretty concerned. Are there any specific things a psychiatrist for gun violence prevention agrees on is appropriate action that needs to happen legislatively or otherwise? Any any directions that they're giving? Uh, I think that we would, I don't want to speak for my my team members, but I, I think that we would all agree on universal background checks. Um, red flag laws do work. Waiting periods do work. Um, again, especially if we start uh, talking about suicide. So um, I think any of those things that really do prevent people from purchasing guns, especially in a time of need, safe storage, you know, all of those are things that we we promote. But I think if we're talking about legislation, it would definitely be the universal background checks, uh, assault on a, a, a ban on assault style weapons. We don't need extended magazines. You know, again, all of that is a problem that that could be taken care of. Um, and and certainly red flag laws, if again, folks who have a history of domestic violence can't get their hands on guns, that's another thing that I think makes a lot of sense um, to, to reduce the risk. Uh, do you think that um, there's we're doing enough, mental health professionals are doing enough to communicate some of the results of this research? It, or do you feel like maybe yes, but lawmakers may know it, but they just don't act on it? Or, it, or is there maybe we're communicating to the public, but not that lawmakers are not listening or lawmakers don't want it? Is there a, some sort of disconnect with this a really important research affecting and influencing laws? Yeah. I think, I think it's everything you just said. I mean, just to speak from, from my own point of view, I really suffered from feeling like, well, I don't know all the data. I don't know all the research. You know, I feel that guns are dangerous and that must be bad, you know, to have this lethal weapon at that, that I don't like that. That makes me nervous, but I don't, I never felt like I had the research, the background, the facts, the data to be able to go out and make these arguments. So I hesitated and and kind of said, well, and I'm going to also like relegate myself almost to the to the individual, the one on one. Right. So maybe maybe I'll talk to my patient about having a gun or do they own a gun, but going out and advocating for laws, I didn't feel like I had I had the wherewithal, honestly, to do that. And so even for me, it's been it's been a very slow evolution. Um, uh, The New York County Psychiatric Society, just our local branch has an advocacy night and it's just practicing going and talking to legislators about things that are important to us. And that might be universal health care or one day or it might be gun violence prevention. Um, so I think it's a whole different skill set. I can't speak for everyone, but it's a whole different skill set that I certainly didn't feel like I had um, the the ability to go and speak to a legislator about issues that were important to me. Yeah, uh, I want to ask one more question. We only have about a minute left. Um, where do you see the future of psychiatrists for gun violence prevention going? I think that we will continue to educate 
continue to give grand rounds, um, as Aaron was saying, get this word out, try and get other people to feel comfortable knowing the facts. I think that um, a forum like yours, thank you so much for having me, is thank the you for coming opportunity on. to talk to more people. And whenever we can, whether you, if it's just at the APA or if it's a local newspaper article, we are hoping to continue advocating for some of these laws to get passed in whatever whatever small realm of influence we have is to try and educate just a few people whom, and maybe that grows. And that's all the time we have for this edition of Let's Get Psyched. Today, we talked about gun violence and the group Psychiatrists for Gun Violence Prevention with Dr. Rebecca Capasso. Dr. Capasso, thank you for joining us on Let's Get Psyched. It's been great to be here. And also thank you to our co-hosts, Drs. Toshio Maguchi and Iman Alidrus. Hey, Iman, thanks for joining us. Thank you so much for having me. If you have comments, questions, or suggestions for the show, you can write us at getpsychedonkucr at gmail.com. And you can also listen to past episodes of Let's Get Psyched on your favorite streaming platform, as well as enjoy an extended version of the show. If you like tonight's show, please follow us and post a review. This episode was recorded remotely in our homes. Our producer is Elliot Fong. Our production assistant is Yasmin Dakama. I've been your host, psychologist, Dr. Aaron Parks. Tune in next week for another edition of Let's Get Psyched. So I have some more questions and I know our next episode is going to be chock full of things. And so I want to make sure I ask them now before we run out that in that episode. Okay, so many questions. One, do you think that psychiatrists for gun violence prevention is saying anything different from what the APA is saying? That's a great question. I think we're saying it more often probably, and a little bit louder. I mean, every APA I go to, I hand out the psych wow. nice. for GDP. Yeah. Like, you know, I- What's the I, response I been? It's been really good. So I've gone to a couple, and I've, my secret is I'll go to a talk where they're talking about violence prevention. Sure. And I'm like, here's yeah. here's our card. We have oh, a little wow. orange uh, card that we hand out. Um and so people are like, oh, this is so interesting. I had no idea there was a group doing yes, anything exactly. about this. Yeah. And um, so, so um, can't put us in direct competition with some group, a group as big and powerful as the American Psychiatric Association. We are a very small, um, small group trying to grow. Um, but, but I think that we're a little bit more vocal. And of course, we're only focused on this one issue. Right. And so it's also easier for us to advocate for this one thing, like a broken record over and over mm -hmm. again, whereas the APA has, I mean, a plethora of issues that they're trying to advocate for and educate the public on. In terms of advocating about these sort of issues, you know, these issues that, like we talked about, kind of get pinned on us by the narrative in the public. Um, what do you think the role is of social media? How do we how do we use social media effectively? What and is it appropriate for us as professionals to use social media? And that's speaking, you know, to a group of podcasters, <laughs> say, you know, adult adult child psychiatrists, therapists who podcast. So yeah, what do you what are your thoughts on that? I I've always tried to be very clear that when I'm posting something, you know, whether it's me posting it, 
I'm in charge of our uh, Facebook group and that's where my social media ends because I'm an old lady. So, you know, I'm hoping we'll eventually get, you know, Instagram and, and other <laughs> stuff going. I don't know about how you would do a TikTok, but that's another story. Yeah. Um, no, I think it is appropriate. I think we're also humans. We care about things. We care about our patients. We care about society. We care about our families. Mm-hmm. Um, gun violence affects all of this. Um, and if, if it could affect any one of us in a multitude of ways. And so I think it is okay to advocate and talk about these issues that are important to us um, and defend our clients um, and defend our clients and defend them from stigma and defend them from, you know, constantly uh, it's happened in my friend chat group where people don't, you know, oh, that homeless person on the street. I was like, well, wait a minute, you know, wait a minute. And so I think it's okay for us to advocate. I'm always very clear. It's my own opinion and not that of Bellevue Hospital or NYU, but I I think it is okay. And again, everyone's going to have their own comfort level of what they share on social media. As we know, there's a lot of disinformation. And if I'm one tiny voice for not disinformation, I guess I'll, I guess I'll do it. I'm not saying I'll be effective, but I will keep saying it. Mm -hmm. Do you ever worry about your like uh, political social media presence ever getting, affecting the, you know, one-to-one patient interaction in clinic? I don't, but I work in a very specific inpatient situation. So again, I, I don't think that people are going to say, oh, I know you right. You are, you know, I'm not, first of all, I'm not that famous. Second of all, um, <laughs> I don't think people would come into clinic and say, well, I think it's fine to have guns. And who are you, you know, to tell me I shouldn't own a gun. Um, I, and if they did, I would actually welcome that conversation. And we could say, well, wait a minute. I, I never said you shouldn't own a gun. Mm-hmm. I want to talk about the risks. And are you doing all the safe things that you need to do in order to be a responsible gun owner and keep it safely with your family? And so, and so it would be an open for debate, but I might be more uh, confrontational than some people would want to be with, with that kind of personal information. Cause I keep other personal information pretty, pretty closed off. Let's say that. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Thank what you. is your uh, thought about um, some of the um, uh, kind of returning a little bit to what Toshi mentioned about um, you know, conflict of interest, uh, political influence. And um, so when there's the research that seems, uh, am I overstepping, but it seems sort of settled that if you have more restrictive gun laws and restrictive uh, access to guns, that's going to reduce violence. It's pr- okay. So you have this hundred percent. Okay. So yes. you have this research settled research, and then you have a group of folks with a particular political bent. Okay. So I don't know a lot about the APA uh, political affiliations, but I do know that most, most psychiatrists on the more wealthy side. So they're probably a good deal of them are Republicans. So there, there's going to be a political, a, a, a coming together and a clashing of, well, my political position is I don't want to reduce access to guns, and but the research shows it. So how do we reconcile that? What do we do when we when we notice that? Yeah, it it's going to create cognitive dissonance and be really uncomfortable, right? It's going it, to if if we allow ourselves. And what I have found is honestly, people will avoid 
any situation where they're going to learn information that's going to create that cognitive dissonance. <laughs> um, and so it it really is, I think, knowing your audience when you're going to speak or say something. Again, so if I'm giving grand rounds at one of the hospitals here in New York City, I'm not too worried about, you know, and someone might, someone might pop up and say, what are you doing? Um, and, and how could you say that thing? Um, so how... I guess, I mean, how do we reach them? How do we deal with their conflict of interest? I, I, I kind of Is don't. it preventing the APA from making harder statements? Yes, it's preventing the APA from coming out more strongly in favor of what the evidence shows, which is absolutely, unequivocally, the more guns there are, the more dangerous it is for everyone. I'll tell you the the sneaky argument that has worked a couple of times with people more on the conservative end of the spectrum is when there are more guns, more police officers will die as they go to a a home to uh, confront an event. Hmm. And so if you get a lot of the Blue Lives Matter folks, you can maybe, again, maybe find some teeny bit of the research that matters to them. So police officers are more at risk in those states where there are more guns. They're more likely to be shot and killed. So maybe that's the one fact that we can get through. And then we could say, so then how do we reduce it? How do we keep our our boys in blue safe? How do we keep our officers safe? They have to go respond to some kind of crime tragedy that's happening. How do we make it so that they can safely do their job? But that that gets to the heart of I think what we do as psychiatrists, which is how do I how do I convince somebody <laughs> to do something that maybe they're not so inclined to do? <laughs> yeah, yeah. How do you uh, do motivational interviewing for the whole public? For the whole public, yes. <laughs> yes. Um, I had a question yeah, that go ahead, kind of came into my head. It's a little bit different, and and Tosha, I kind of want to know your thoughts too as a child psychiatrist. <laughs> So I think in in terms of, you know, um, separating the narrative of like mental illness equals mass shootings, there's also I've seen a connection between, you know, autism and oh, that's a that's a school shooter type. And, and people will sort of put that on people who are on the autism spectrum, like they're a little, you know, different. And then they get put with that label, oh, kind of school shooter vibes. Uh, in like, in terms of data, is there anything that has any type of connection? I mean, it's already a very, uh, you know, stigmatized group, and they're already uh, marginalized. So is there any data that would, you know, sh- show any type of relationship? I haven't seen any data no. on that. Yeah, uh, no data that I've seen whatsoever. And again, that that 15% of people who have a serious mental illness at mass shootings, I don't I don't think autism was even on the list of possibilities for that one. I might be wrong. I could look into that, but not that I know of. Yeah. But it's 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 the stigma of other, right? This person yeah. with autism spectrum disorder seems different or maybe a little odd to me. Therefore, I'm scared of them. This person with schizophrenia is talking to themselves. That is odd. Therefore, I am scared of them. Therefore, they must be dangerous. So it's these mental leaps that people do when they don't have education about 
again, what, what these illnesses and neurodiversity is. Yeah, it's really stigmatizing um, people with mental health conditions because that's immediately the thing. One of the things that's said is right. that oh, they, they must have a mental illness. We need to stop, uh, prevent anyone with a diagnosed mental health condition from having a gun. These are mm -hmm. kind of some of the things that people will, will say, and it, yeah. it's it's really stigmatizing. And so yeah, I, I this sounds this sounds like a really great group and an advocacy like charge for for mental health clinicians is to go out there with the knowledge with the science have you guys been getting uh interview requests from media or anything like that much much like the news cycle after a mass shooting um we will get we will get outreach, um, especially Dr. Manso. He's kind of our flagship okay. person who people will outreach um, when something has hit the news. So okay. when that that compromise bill of gun legislation passed, um, then we got some outreach from the APA to do some articles. What did we think of that piece of legislation? Did it not go far enough? you know, what, what were our opinions about that? Mm -hmm. And again, similar so professional sort of outreach, but not like yes. public media sort of outreach. No, no, mm -hmm. not so Interesting. Much. Mm -hmm. Is the APA getting asked to interview for those sort of things? Like when there's a shooting, does, you know, CNN call them up and ask for an interview? I don't know. I don't know. Yeah, it's really interesting because I, I know they always bad. talk about they always talk about our field. So they're just not talking to the specialists in the field about <laughs> interest. I have usually not seen a psychiatrist on saying things like this. It's, you know, people with mental illness don't uh, yeah, perpetrate I, violence as much as, you know. Yeah, we're all just kind of talking to each other about how wrong they are. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Yeah. Oh boy. Okay. Well, that's all the questions that I have. Do you guys have any questions? And that'll do it for the extended version of this episode of Let's Get Psyched.